Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. So welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. Today, we have a guest that I know y'all are going to love. Let me just give it to you quick. Before he invented Hydroflask, which is incredible, and that story, which he's going to tell you in a minute, you're going to love. He had about nine careers. What do you think, Michael? Nine, 12, 14, 36 careers? He was definitely an adventurer. An adventurer. That's a good way of putting it. Um, Whether it was working in dive shops, teaching scuba diving, being an airline pilot, being a boat captain, running fishing charters. You know what I'm saying? Like he's been there and done that. And what he talks to us today is about how he took an $11,000 investment in Hydroflask and turned it into a billion dollar company. What it was like to sell out. Well, I don't think sell out because that makes it sound like he gave up, but sell the company and then now help other entrepreneurs follow in his footsteps. And he's delightful through it all. So thank you all for joining us. And here's Travis. What am I? And so without further ado, I want to introduce you all to Travis Rossback. He has a story to tell, and I can't wait to talk about it. Travis, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, You know, we reach out and and try to find entrepreneurs, people who have a story to tell, because we always want to talk about branding. So I would love to hear how you got from this idea to the creation of the Hydroflask and Really walk me through the building of that brand. How did that start and and how did that go? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, so I had a sign and screen printing company over in Oahu. And one day, this was probably about circa 2007. I got real hot and thirsty. I was driving around town doing deliveries. Went into a sporting goods store to buy a, a... non by non single use plastic water bottle because at that time we had a we had one reusable water bottle and it just so happened to be plastic so i thought i'll just go get a water bottle that way i don't have to buy the the single use ones and have it wash up on my beach in five six weeks went in and there were no water bottles and i asked the guy i'm like hey what happened here and he said well we're not really sure what it's called uh but it's it's you know these three letters and we're you know we're not sure what it's going to be it was bpa and so as a precautionary uh measure they pulled all the water bottles and i was like well who's going to fill up this shelf and he said nobody there are no other companies doing water bottles right now i said I'll do that. And it just kind of hit me in the back of the head. It came out my mouth and I, it kind of shocked him and it shocked me. And, um, he laughed and, and from the time that he laughed and the time I said that in between those two times, I saw the future like 10 years down the road. And I was standing on stage talking about this highly successful water bottle company. Sure enough, 10 years, almost to the day later, I was down at one of the California colleges stand on stage experiencing major deja vu. It was wild. That's incredible. That was kind of how it like started. That is awesome. Uh, So when you think about you're standing there, you're not typically in the business of building water bottles in your career yet. You've had a lot of other interesting journeys, but not that one. I mean, was your first thought to names, to logos, to manufacturing, uh, to investment, to all of the above? Where'd you start? Well, the first thing I thought was, okay, well, he is in the industry of of outdoor retail. However, maybe there are other brands. And so I went back to the sign shop and I asked, I always like to employ and just be around younger than me people because they know what's hip, they know what's cool, and they know what's trending. So I went back and asked some of the employees. And the only thing I heard back was, well, there's this aluminum water bottle and it is awesome. You're going to love it. And so I went out to uh, purchase it. It was, it was just stupid expensive. Uh, it was like 20 bucks. <laughs> and uh, it was dumb. Like I couldn't fit ice cubes in it. It dented really easily. And then to top it off, I noticed after a few weeks that some of the gold inside of it had flaked off. And so I called the company and I asked him, I'm like, what's the deal with this stuff? 
and they were really rude and, and just kind of mean and didn't want to like almost basically hung up on me. They didn't want to answer. They didn't want to talk to me. And at that point I, I realized like, if that's the best of the best and that's the best that they have, then maybe I have a shot at this. So that's kind of, once I knocked that competition out, uh, then I talked to my brother who just started at REI here in Bend had just opened up and he said, yeah, there's this uh, single wall, a stainless steel one. You should try it. I'm like, okay, cool. Tried it. It dribbled all over my face. The ice melted within 10 minutes. It got too hot to touch and to drink. And then I took off to China to go start Hydro Flask. <laughs> so you show you just take a flight to China and say, hey, I'm looking for a, a, a business to manufacture this stuff for me. I mean, really, that's kind of what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, one of the employees had found a water bottle factory in China and had, we had faxed, this is back in the faxing days. We faxed back and forth about, Hey, Travis would like to come over and talk to you about doing an insulated water bottle. And they're like, Oh yeah, come on, come on, come on. I'm like, okay, cool. Here we go. So I took off and showed up in Shanghai and found the factory and walked in. I was all excited. And they're like, no, we just do plastic. I'm like, well, that's not what I was looking for, you know, and came all this way and, you know, days and weeks and years later, it felt like, I mean, it was a heck of a trip. And uh, so I was up a Creek and I, I just, I got real frustrated and started to leave back to the airport. And this guy came up and kind of grabbed my arm and was like, Hey, I got a cousin. You should go talk to him. Like, well, I'm I'm here for another week. I might as well. And so went down, met his cousin. His cousin kind of looked at me like, nah, I don't think that's a thing, but we could go try. So all right, let's try it. And and so we did. Wow. So when I think about all of the things out there, you know, I'm I'm a reusable drink person, have carry my bottle around like a whoopee every day. I love it. Um, and I've been through all the different options. I've been through the metal, I've been through the plastic, I've been through this, I've been through that. Uh, at what point did you feel like you had really perfected the system and you were happy with what the impact was going to have on the environment, the price point for the consumer, the way it felt in your hand, you felt like you'd found the right one. How long did that process take? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the word perfect. I, I don't, I don't like if I know I'm kind of OCD and if I set perfect for myself, then I will never get anything accomplished. But um, I would say probably the fourth generation of, of Hydro Flask, which was probably only about eight months, nine months after we launched, I was continuously reiterating and making the wall a little bit thicker, making the powder coat a little bit better. Uh, we, I mean, it was a brand new technology. Nobody else had been doing this at that time. And so we didn't know what we didn't know. So we were just kind of throwing everything out there to see what stuck. Right. No, that's amazing. So I'm wondering, you, you know, had a business degree, you, you'd gone and gotten your MBA, you really had done all the work educationally necessary to prepare yourself for the success, because it sounds like you just woke up one day and figured it out. Yeah, no, I was a boat captain and a dive instructor down at the Virgin Islands. And a, I was an airline pilot and then had a fence company, then had a um, the sign company. And that was that was the extent of my knowledge. Yeah. Serial entrepreneur. That's what I love about it. Uh, so how do you go from the fourth generation of Hydro Flask that now feels like it's good enough to a billion dollar brand? What's the gap in between look like? It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, it was it wasn't always the hydro flask that it is today. And so we didn't have the employees that they have today. We didn't have the manufacturing resources. And, and so it, it, all of that had to be built and it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of money, a lot of, you know, sleepless nights and worrying about, you know, how are we going to pay the employees? How are we going to pay for the factories to, you know, even just get us the inventory and um, a lot of trial and error, honestly, but I really, knew that as long as we could get the product, the actual bottle correct, then we we needed to build the brand. And if we could build that brand to just be rock solid and build 
just major, major, major success into the DNA of the brand, then we were going to be okay. So that's really what I focused on was building that brand to be what it is today. And did you have an idea what that was going to be from the onset or was it something that evolved over time or, or like before the product even got realized, did you say, this is what I want this to be? Um, you know, I think it, I, it, as crazy as it may sound, I sort of had the vision for this is an internationally well-known brand and product really. Like it was a one in one. It was, if we have the best product out there and I really enjoy drinking out of it, he will, she will, they will enjoy drinking out of it also. And then the product's just going to take care of itself. We need to build this Coca-Cola legacy, you know, big long-term brand that uh, people are going to be recognizing everywhere and anywhere, you know, for the rest of their day, cradle to grave, as Coca-Cola would say. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I think about this industry and I, and I think about the different people out there, you know, whether it's Hydroflask or Yeti or Simple or this one or that one, um, how did you feel like you kind of carved out your niche and said, this is our thing. This is what we're going to own. Being first was huge. I mean, I won't lie. That was massive. We got to the outdoor retail show and there were no other water bottles that were insulated. They, it just did not exist. Later, Clean Canteen came out with their version, and their version was, dare I say, inferior. And so we dodged that bullet. Had they come out with the same technology, there's, there's, we basically found there were two ways to do the insulation. The more expensive way, which just takes longer, there's a higher failure rate, or there's the faster, cheaper way. They went with the faster, cheaper way. And I, I think that was that was another moment of like, wow, we really dodged that bullet. Cause had we gone that way, we would have been just the same as them. And they already had the market space with their single wall bottles. We went for the more, you know, difficult path that I thought looks cooler and is more cool. And um, so that was big by the second outdoor retail show. Six months later, there was already three or four companies. One year later, there was like 30. I mean, it was like just a stupid high number, like 24, 26 insulated water bottles that we counted. But then the following like a year and a half, we were back down to like four, you know, so a lot of them had weeded themselves out. You know, we've heard tale of companies going to China and finding where one thing is being manufactured and saying, I want that same thing, but change this color or add this logo. And that, you know, the, the Chinese government doesn't take patents and trademarks um, as seriously as, as the U.S. does. So how did you fight off those 30 plus competitors from basically just ripping you off? Well, um Back then, yeah, I, I I totally hear you. And that is a very common thing that happens a lot, unfortunately, especially these days, especially with some of the big online shopping, uh, Amazon channels that people shop from. Those are, A lot of those are just factories that are masquerading as American companies. And so they have no middleman. They have no, you know, storefront. They have no employees, so to speak. Um, and so, but back then... It was um, predominantly Americans that would see us and then they would try to knock us off. And so with that, uh, I had a few things that I would do. One of the, you know, kind of the sneaky kind of things that I figured out was I'd go to that factory and I'd ask the factory owner, how many bottles are you making for, you know, Johnny knockoff? And he'd say, you know, 5,000. I'd say, all right, if I give you an order for 20,000, will you stop working with him? And back then they'd be like, yeah, sure. So they'd cut Johnny knockoff out and then, and then you know, I'd give him an order for 20 grand and we'd pick them up as one of our factories. So we'd kind of buy out the brand on the back end, um, unbeknownst to Johnny knockoff. That was one way. Another way was we had patents that were pending and a lot of them were just design patents, but it kept the honest, honest. They, the people who didn't really look into the patents would just see patent pending or patent did, and they wouldn't even try to get into the game. So when the bigger companies started to get into the game, they had their own designs and their own versions of it. And quite honestly, they, they, they weren't as cool. 
back then. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of coming out with these old archaic looking big ass, heavy looking, you know, metal things that weren't necessarily water bottle, everyday carry devices. Right. You know, a lot of people talk about that too. Sorry, Jackie. They, um, like we talk a lot about like consumer owns the brand, um, you know, people want to build a tribe around your brand, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think with, with yours as well, with a lot of things, like people will get a hydro flask over an, a competitor maybe because it, it represents them. It's like, this is who I am. I'm this person, right? Just like they would with a Mac or, or any other big, big brand. And you've grown to that level. Where do you think that transition happened along the way from, from just being a way, really well-made product that was, that was beating superior to everybody else's product to where people are now, I'm going to wear a shirt with that on it because it represents who I am. Yeah, it's a good question. And that's, I don't know that I could ever really put my finger on one micro specific moment or, or reason. Like there's no like real magic key that unlocks that door. Um, I think that since we were focused just on water bottles at the beginning and then tumblers and then insulated products, but we were focused just on water bottles and we didn't have the whole thermos legacy or the Stanley legacy of other ancillary products or any stigma around that. It became, if I'm going to drink water, if I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to use a hydro flask because that's what hydro flask is for. I always had the, the, I don't know if this is the right word, but my ethos, I guess, or our ethos was that we were going to be a household brand name, just like Kleenex or, or a Speedo or Q-Tip, you know, or Hydro Flask. And so that was always built into the DNA, not only amongst the employees and the factories, but also the retailers and getting into retail as quickly as we did, that helped also because we, we gained a quick, we quickly gained a, a market saturation or domination at the same time. So if you were going to drink water, you were going to get a hydro flask because there wasn't a lot of others on the shelves in the early days. Right. So you've built up this company, you've turned it into an overwhelming success. You've blood, sweat, tears and tears into it. How do you get to the place where you're comfortable selling? I got, you know, there's a lot kind of like, you know, over the years, I've thought about this a lot. Um, it was kind of like when I was a pilot and I had about 35, 40 different airplanes that I always wanted to fly. I thought, wow, that'd be cool to fly the King Air or the Hawker or the Falcon or, you know, this one or that one or that one. And as soon as I started checking them off the list, it kind of became, uh, excuse my language, it was like same shit, different island. You know, it's kind of like been there, done that. And with Hydro Flask, the first day out, I got into Whole Foods. Wow, that was cool. Like went straight to the top. And once you're at the pinnacle, everything else kind of gets easy. We got into REI, Cabela's, Dick's, Sportsman's, U.S. government. Um, you know, the military is using them. And there was a point at which I, like the season was just over. I just kind of was starting to get burnt out and I was ready for the next adventure. It was no longer challenging. And I knew that the, it, the, the brand and the company and the business and the employees especially were in good hands if I let go. And so I was ready to let go and just pull the ripcord. Right. So I'm guessing that that's what led you to your next endeavor with helping other businesses get their act together and get off the ground. Was it the very next thing or was there a middle ground in there where you were figuring it out? No, I, it took six months to, to kind of wake up from, holy cow, I'm no longer the hydro flask guy 24 right. seven. It, it was a very visceral reaction. I remember waking up in September. I sold in April. I woke up in September going, okay, wow. I just lost a lot of weight. What was that? Oh, that's because you're no longer the hydro flask guy. Oh, okay. And then my life kind of started to pick up again after that. But it, there was a transition, a long transition period from, as I was going so strong and so fast and, you know, it was 24 seven. I mean, not 24, but it was probably 20, 27, you know, it was a lot of constant, constant. Even when I was asleep, I was still dreaming and, and still working on things in my head. So once that was all gone, I had no 
idea. I just wanted to travel the planet. I wanted to try photography, get into photography. Um, and then yoga came. I had kind of a Kundalini awakening and experience that really rocked my life and turned me a different direction that I would have never anticipated, nor had I seen coming. So I went into yoga and I went into paddle boarding and, and I bought a motor home and sold the house and sold all the toys and all the fancy stuff you're supposed to get once you win the lottery. And I just took off and traveled for a long time and um, got to the point where I missed business. I just absolutely love doing business stuff. I, I just love the hustle and the grind and the, the long hours and, and the, you know, all of it. So I started the Tumblr group to get my own LLC going again and help others do what I had already done and what I really enjoy doing most, which is growing businesses. I love that. I love that. Not just because you're going to get to continue to flex your own business muscle, but it's a way to really give back. You know, they talk about paying it forward. Well, that's what you're doing. You're turning around and giving a hand up to the guys and girls who are coming up behind you. Um, I think it's admirable. So what's the process like? People just stumble upon you and they sign up for classes. How does it work? Hey, before, before you jump in that, I want to talk about something you just, you just talked about Travis. Um, the 24 seven, the grind of all that for, for other entrepreneurs out there. I think, you know, we deal with a lot of them on a different level than yours. Um, we have some regional national clients, but nothing to your level, but people that are starting new businesses, you know, the expectations of that, I think the ones that don't make it or don't, or don't always see it through are the ones that didn't see it coming. They didn't realize how much of a commitment it is. I mean, just from starting a business and, you know, there's never time off. I mean, you know, you can take a vacation, but you're still working. You're still in the phone. You're still thinking about it. When you go to sleep at night, you're thinking about what's going on the next day. I know those are, what you know, that part of it. I mean, you seem to have enjoyed it and thrived on it, but I'm sure there was a time where it was like, okay, this is overwhelming. Yeah. Well, and I, I had the benefit of not being married and I didn't have any kids, which is huge because now I have a child and it's, like that's full time, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if not full, it's definitely three quarters time. I mean, it's, I have to constantly think about logistics and, and that whole thing for another life form. But back when I was single and I was sans child, the business was my three quarters of the time. So I could, I could dedicate most of my life towards doing and growing and helping the business and it's a lot. I mean, there it it even with employees, even with a good solid manager or a good CEO or you know some right hand man, as they say, it's still always on the front of at least my mind. And I think that that is a big part of the success. Also, is that I basically said no to everything else. No holidays, no gatherings, no birthday parties, no friends, no Friday night out on the town, none of it. Friday nights, six o'clock, I'm head down and working and happy because I have nobody else around in the office to, to you know, bring me more stuff. And um, it was it was a labor of love. I mean, it really, really was. I, I loved the brand. I loved the product. I loved our customers, you know, and I, we started getting feedback that was, it was just incredible. People started getting hydrated for the first time in their lives. Most of the, you know, a lot of the time people were walking around drinking 44 ounce, big gulp, Coca-Cola, Pepsi prior. And then they ditch it for a 22 ounce water bottle with water in it. Holy cow, their life radically changes. And when that changed happened, they really associated that brand Hydro Flask with the increase of quality of life. I started getting that feedback directly. And I was like, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm doing. I'm helping others. So sacrificing this, the weekends and, and the barbecues with the friends, it made it a little bit easier because I knew on Monday somebody would have something in my inbox telling me how they got a promotion at work or their husband's finding them more attractive or whatever it is. And it'd get me through that next week. I, I love hearing that. Cause we talk a lot about that too. Is the, the promise behind the brand is our little niche saying of it. And it's like that one thing that makes you unique and different. Right. But it's, it's, it's like, how do you convey to people 
that this product is going to enhance your life. And it's not about the product itself. I mean, the manufacturing of the quality of it, all that's important, right? But at the end of the day, it's about what you said. It's like they're getting hydrated. They're, they're, having, they're, they're having life changes. You're changing people's lives with your product. And when people buy into that, that's when the magic happens. And and it, it yeah, it was. It was absolutely, it made it all worth it. Had I just been doing it for the money, um, I probably would have taken the weekends off. <laughs> I probably would have gone home at six o'clock at night. I probably wouldn't have come in till eight o'clock in the morning because, you know, I would have been doing it for the money, but the money was never a, a, a facet. It was never a factor in it. I mean, I wasn't making money. All the money I was making was going right back into it anyway. So, and that was another reason I didn't go home. I didn't have anything at home really for me. I, you know, my macaroni and cheese was at the office. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're advising and guiding um, growing entrepreneurs and you're helping them figure out um, how they should build their businesses, what lessons are you giving them to help them do it better than you did? I think one of the biggest things that um, I'm starting to do more and more is helping people towards the exit. And I think that that's something that I know I didn't really put enough effort into or enough thought into or enough research into is the time where I decided, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. I want out. And the time I sold, there was a lot that I did not know back then that I've been studying and learning over the last decade or so that I'm now able to help others with. And that feels really good. Also, a lot of people who have you know, I had a fence company and I, we sold it within like two weeks on Craigslist. We didn't know any better and it worked. And so why not? Well, now I, I know a lot better and I can help people sell their business or get ready to head towards the exit. And, and, I, and I really am enjoying that more and more. That's awesome. You know, I, I think about it and Michael kind of touched on this. It's about balance. And so now that you've kind of swung your pendulum all the way from one side to the other, how do you bring it back to the middle and create balance in your future endeavors? Because I think based on your history, this isn't going to be the last thing you start. You've got some more stuff in you. Yeah, no, I have a lot more. <laughs> um, you know, I, um, I have chainsaws and I like to, to cut trees. And yet, you know, my, my hands are starting to feel it from the rock climbing days and and my life on motorcycles and stuff, my hands are starting to feel it. So I can go out and I can go cut trees for a couple few hours, get my fill and then come inside the office and, and work for a few hours and get my fill in here. So it's, um, it's something that I never had really before was a balance. It was always just work. I always was just doing what it was, you know, I was doing and and it was called work and that's what I was doing. Now I get to, um, you know, and I live in an environment where I get to go outside and, and play with, you know, play with the chainsaws. I say, you know, liberally, what's the word I'm looking for here? I, I, I use that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now with the um uh Tamalo, am I saying that right? Tamalo? Tamalo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamalo group. Um it was just T-U-M-A-L-O-T-R-O-U-P dot com. Um and I was reading through that and it you know, as you it's almost like you're a um what is the word here? Um you're taking entrepreneurs' ideas and helping them come to life, basically, right? I mean, as as a uh, helping inventors and people that have, you know, fledgling things. At what point, how honest are you with them? If you, something comes across the table and you're like through the process that you have, which I think is like a, like a five, six, seven process, step process um, from interview all the way down to getting them um, out into the market manufacturing and whatnot, but to where you have to be honest with them and say, Hey, this is probably not a good idea. You know, like where does that come in? Yeah, you know, and and that's all that's that's actually the toughest part of doing what I'm doing right now in the in in I don't know if it's in the industry. I don't want to speak for the whole industry, but a, a saying I was told was you have to tell people that they have an ugly baby. And that's not always easy and that's not always fun and it's not always um something it's not it's not something I ever really want to do. But I've also found that being honest like that, at least giving my own humble opinion for whatever it's worth. It, if, if I can help save them money 
or time or energy in the long run, a lot of times it works out in their benefit where they can pivot slightly or radically even and go on to something. Okay, well, that was plan A, but plan B is this. Okay, well, now that is cool. Let's go towards that and see what happens. And um, so that's, yeah, that's a big part of it, Michael. And And then the other part that I have found now also is that if I tell them that they have a beautiful baby and what they do with that, like I have, a, I have a, a, you know, I've had a client that went out and sold their home. <laughs> it's like they sold their house and they said, okay, we're ready to jump in, Trav, let's go. Because I told them about how much it's going to cost to make the tooling and the molds and everything for creating this product. And they're like, okay, we sold our house and we're ready to go. I was like, whoa, you know, like, just because yeah. I said you have a beautiful baby doesn't mean I want responsibility for, you know, you guys mortgaging the house to raise it. Um, and it worked out fine. They bought another house that they love just as much, if not more. And now they have some cash to put into their business and they're a young couple. And so they've got, you know, time and energy to bounce back if anything, you know, nefarious or negative happens. But um, yeah, it's, it's not always, it's, that's those are two facets that I hadn't really anticipated. Yeah, I think, yeah. and we walk into meetings. We do these brand assessments, and we'll go in and at the end of the six day week process and deliver the news. And, and sometimes we're it's very real. You know, we, we dig in deep. We try to find out their inner workings, if there's road bumps, if there's problems with the culture, and we let them know that. And there's two types. Some people are in total denial, and they're just thinking that you're basically out to get them. I'm not sure why they paid us to tell them bad things, you know. But and then other people take that in stride and they say, okay, how do we improve? How do we get better? Where are the steps we need to take to get there? And um, and you're definitely right about the responsibility aspect. I, I I talk to students all the time that are going into advertising. I'm like, look, this is this is a big deal. Anytime you're recommending things for people to spend money on, sometimes it's all the money they have. Yeah. And if you just whim it away or you do it because you want it versus what's right, then that's a problem. It's almost criminal. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, you have Absolutely. to really be honest. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I admit in the early days, I sort of just took on all comers and I, and I would see some kind of not so good looking projects. And I'd think, well, just because it's not for me, doesn't mean it's not for somebody else. And, or I'd see some little, you know, characteristics or personality red flags or yellow flags, and I'd overlook them and think, well, it's okay. I just, you know, I want to be working and I want experience and I want clients and I want to make people happy. And sure enough, it turned out to be crash and burn with, you know, the fire and everything. And so now that I've been doing this for quite some time, I'm, I'm better at spotting people even just from the preliminary inbox email that comes in, like, no, nah, I don't want to work with this guy. I don't want to work with this guy. No, nah, I'm not interested. And it's interesting because it's, I'm not even trying to negative sell or reverse sell them. A lot of times if I say no, they come back with, okay, well, what's it going to take? No, I'm, I'm serious. I just don't want to work on this project or I don't want to work with you or you guys. And, um, so yeah, I have to factor that in as well. Sometimes when I say no, it, it, they don't believe that it means no. Well, it's finding, I'm sure for you too, it's about finding people that, that gel with what you're doing. Like they have yeah. to be the right people, the right fit. They're going to work with your process. Right. Um, if, 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 if they're not going to listen or they're not going to, uh, you know, they're going to tell you what to do, then why, why be here in the first place? Right. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I, I don't mm -hmm. get along with everybody. Not everybody gets along with me. I'll be the first to admit I'm not like a button up business person who has all these degrees and has worked all these corporations on these fortune 500 companies. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I, I'm just Travis doing the Travis thing. And so if somebody, if we do get along, we get along great. And if we don't, we do not. <laughs> and it's best for both of us to not, if it's a not, but if it's a yes, then yeah, dude, we can roll. And I love that. I think the people who are most transparent and most authentic are typically the ones who are most successful. Yeah. I, my, my theory on, on uh, transparency is like, I don't want to, I don't have a good enough memory to lie or tell anybody something that's not going to be something that I tell them again tomorrow or the next day. I don't want to hold the energy. I don't want to have to hold the memory of something I said before for in the future. I want to live in the now and it, and that seems to be working. Right. I love that. So you're going to retire one day or are you just going to keep growing and building and doing more until you drop? 
No, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, even, I mean, for me, retirement right now would look like buying a, um, a big ass ship and just taking off towards the ice wall and try to push on through to the other side. Like I, I, I always want to be running and gunning. Like I, I can't imagine I, I've already lived. I've, I live, I've lived my life in chunks of retirement where I've, you know, said, okay, I've got enough money. I'm going to take off and skate for a while. And I've done that, been there, done that. And again, it's like same shit, different Island. Like I need to be doing something that entertains me and, and keeps my, my wheels spinning because they're constantly spinning, whether I'm sitting on a beach or I'm, I'm working on, you know, the next big project. How do you relate that to, um, cause obviously you're a very creative person in the business world. And I think a lot of people get confused with talk about that a lot too, but creativity is not necessarily artistic and sometimes it is, but it's problem solving. It's about ha- having, you know, dealing with those wheels that are always turning and finding a way to put them out somewhere. Where do you put your energy at? How that creativity bug works within your system? Well, yeah, I, I'm a very inquisitive person by nature, I think. And so I, and I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'll be the first to pull over and ask directions. Like I don't want to drive around in circles. I want to get to where I'm going. And if I have to stop it proverbially, now we have the phone and the GPS, but back in the old days, I would be the first pull over to the gas station to ask the attendant, how do I get to the restaurant? Like I'm not going to drive around like a big mucka mucka trying to find the restaurant on my own. I'll ask questions. And going and living and and traveling as much as I have in third world and second world and first world countries, I've just naturally found that if I just ask questions, people help people get me to where I'm going and they, they want me to succeed and just as much as I do. And so I don't know, did I kind of get off, off the topic of that question? I was that, oh, that was I don't good. know. I was, it was fascinating. So I'm, I'm just keep going. (laughs) I'm the absolute opposite. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. I thank God for the phones nowadays and GPS. I've driven across the country a few times and um, every time it's taken me so long. I remember back when, you know, used to get a, um, was it a triptych things from uh, AAA? They'd preach out these books of maps. Yeah, and you yeah. flip through them, but trying to drive and do that at the same time, and you're somewhere in Wyoming, and you take the <laughs> wrong exit, and the next thing you know, you're in Utah. You know, it's like everything just goes really, really off the chart there. So I'm pretty grateful for the technology we have nowadays. Yeah. So I'm a budding entrepreneur. I'm coming to you, and I'm saying, "Oh, you've you've had this great success, and I really want to figure out how to do this." What are the one, two, three? mistakes that you feel like you made that you're going to tell them how to avoid in their future? I think a big one is the financing side of things. Uh, It costs way more than I anticipated. It costs way more than I think a lot of people anticipate. However, it doesn't necessarily take a lot to get started. It's just going to cost more later if it doesn't cost more now. I mean, we started with about $11,000. We sold everything we owned except for one suitcase each, my my girlfriend at the time and I. And um, we didn't know what we didn't know. Like we were thinking we could just bootstrap our way through. Well, when success comes, you have to pay. You have to pay to play. You have to pay for the inventory. You have to pay for new molds. You have to pay to play over and over and over again. And the bigger the success is, the bigger the ticket is, the bigger the bill is, the bigger the invoice is. And so I think that's one thing that that I had not anticipated is I knew that businesses can go out from a lack of sales, but they can also go out of business for too many sales. And it's expensive. I mean, the water bottles back then cost $5 from the factory. They cost $5 now. They have not changed in price. However, you do $40,000 a month, every single month, your sixth month, that adds up quick or quickly. And so that's something I didn't anticipate. And then also, um, I I don't know that I, I fully appreciated the amount of hours that, you know, the bend, bend fencing was Bend, Oregon. We were central Oregon. We had a company that served, you know, these three cities basically. And 
I, I had a little bit of a normal life after the first couple of years. I, I had about a 60 to 70 hour work week after about two years. But to do that on an international scale and have clients in Japan and Korea and the UK and Europe and, and Florida, you know, in California, it, it became more of a, um, all inclusive thing. And when you're starting out, you don't necessarily have the money to hire the employees that are the caliber to take care of the Korean customers. And so that was another kind of a big, like, Oh, wow, gosh, how do we, how do we afford the people who know how to do what I don't know how to do? And well, get more sales. Well, how do you get more sales? Well, you buy more product. Well, how do you buy more product with more money? Well, how do you get more money? That's a full-time job. Just getting money, you know, just to get the money to buy the products is a full-time position. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And I think most people think that because of modern technologies, um, the barrier to entry is so low that they can just roll right in on, you know, they, they've read the stories about people who started a business uh, with some sweat equity and a credit card. And that's fine, depending on the business. But when it comes to manufacturing, you're going to be paying some cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The factories aren't they don't care who you are. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how long, you know, or who, you know, that none of that matters. You need to pay for it. You've got 30 days to pay for it. And if you're lucky and if you're not lucky, you got 15 or it's due right now. And yeah, I mean, it, they, it's, you know, if it's easy and you think it's easy, well, then all of your competition thinks it's easy. And then then what's the point? Right. Right. I think, um, like I know the answer to this one, but um, when going in, you were all in, like you were going to, if this was going to sink, you were going down with the ship, right? I mean, was there a time where you had a, a jettison plan? Like, okay, this is not working or look, we're going down to the last day. Like, this is it. I'm all in. It, no, there, there was no plan B. I mean, like I, it was, I, I torched the ships on the shore. Like there was no, <laughs> There was no tomorrow. <laughs> there was, you know, like, I guess at the back of my mind, I always knew I could go back to my dad's dive shop and become a dive shop employee again. I could go back to scuba diving and be happy. Um, but that was like kind of a very worst case scenario. Uh, there was no, you know, there was no rich relative that was going to die to give me money. There was no, you know, no thing that was going to save us if we did not succeed. And there were a few times, quite a few. I mean, I can, I remember at least three or four times where, man, I'd had enough. I just got down to rock bottom and I was like, I can no longer physically do this anymore. I am done. I am out. And I went home to grab my motorcycle and I was going to grab my passport and pack my bags and just go down to South America and just keep going until I ran out of, you know, fuel and everything else. And, uh, you know, the first time my passport was out getting a Chinese visa. And so I couldn't get into Mexico without getting into Mexico. I was like, eh, I don't want to just go to California and I don't want to go to Florida. So I'll just go to work tomorrow. The next time my motorcycle boots were broken, getting the zipper fixed. And, uh, and then I was like, I'll just go back to work. <laughs> and then it just kind of, you know, it also kind of becomes addictive too. I mean, it's, there's a real rush for, you know, sitting in New York at the NBA world headquarters and signing contracts with NBA, going down to secret underground bunkers in Texas and working with the U S government. I mean, that's, that's a thrill. That was a rush. And I, and I really got a kick out of that, you know, signing, signing on REI, like, Whoa, they told us now you can't get REI for two years. It just does not happen. Like, all right, watch this. And we got it. You know, I had to fire the key employee who is working on it because he he was under the misconception that it was going to take two years. Uh, he was a sales rep and he was like, nope, two years. I said, no, you don't have two years. Like I want it six months and had to fire him, which was not easy and not it wasn't even very physically safe. <laughs> um, but you know what? The next crew got it. And, and that that becomes addictive. Like I really enjoy that aspect of it. But on, on that note, too, when like that's a very interesting story, because, you know, when do you have to look around and be that leader in the room to say, look, if you're not on board, I don't know, what, what do you say, Jackie, if you're not, if you're not, what is it? Um, I don't know, something about 
don't come in on Monday. Oh, <laughs> get fired up or get fired is one of my favorites. Um, what, the, what they used to say at Shia Day back in the day is if you don't have time to come in on Sunday, don't even bother coming back on Monday. Yeah. But yeah. that's not my philosophy. That's that's somebody <laughs> else's. That's the bad story, Michael. That's not what I tell people. How do you, when do you decide, okay, I got to be the, it's my vision and I, I want to be nice and I want to be the good boss and everything else, but everybody's got to get on board. Everybody's got to be on the same page. Yeah, that's, and it's not easy. And it, I, I think that there's this kind of misnomer of a startup and, you know, we'll have beer on Friday and Travis will buy us pizza and Travis is a nice guy and we're having this fun. Oh, Travis, you muted yourself. You're muted. We can't hear you, bud. Oh, that's, there you go. We're back. There you are. It just it just clicked. Uh, can you hear me? Are we good? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Michael will edit this part out. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about pizza. Buying pizza. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, you know, there was a very real. Oh, we're this fun, hip, cool water bottle company, and oh, we're such a fun place to work for. Well, somebody had to be the adult. Somebody had to come in and be like, "Nah, dude, you're not cutting it. You got to go." And that was never easy or fun, but I think from sort of my boat captain days and the, in the piloting airline pilot days, like somebody has to be in charge of the ship. And if, if nobody else is going to grab the wheel, I will, I'll, I'll step up and I'll, you know, I'll put the fire out or I will start the fire if that's what it takes. And so, you know, it, it's not a good way to win friends and influence people. And so that's one thing that, um, you know, like I didn't really anticipate either is like it, it, you know, it's, it's a family, it's a group, everybody's friends. Well, they are, but I could not be a friend of the family because I was always, I, I never knew when I had to be the bad guy, but when I made those critical cuts and the business went from here to here, well, you know, I did it for the business. I didn't do it for the guy I just cut, you know, and that, that was, yeah, that, that took its toll, you know, but at the fence company, I always carried a gun with me because we had a lot of ex felons that would physically come at me. And so I, if my shirt was untucked, people knew on a Friday, somebody was getting fired. If my shirt was tucked in on Friday, everybody's coming back Monday. So luckily Hydroflask was never that extreme, but that was especially like in the Virgin islands, like there was a lot of violence, a lot of violence. And so like everything past that is just easy. <laughs> it's not fun, but it's easy. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that approach. We have to deal with, you know, HR stuff and letting people go all the time. And sometimes it's very emotional, but I think carrying and letting people know I'm, I'm armed, that is an easy way to get to the, the quick HR problems. They don't mess with you as much if they know that that's why you have your shirt untucked. Right. <laughs> you know, and then, and then with, with Hydroflask, I learned the beautiful word HR director. It's like, yes. oh, wait, I don't have to physically be armed. No, in fact, we prefer you not bring your gun to work, Travis. <laughs> there were times where I had to, you know, there, I got into a knife fight with a guy and, and I had a gun. You know, he brought a knife to a gunfight. And I was like, well, I'm glad I had my gun. But um, HR, for the most part, like that's the simple answer is, you know, you just call Janet and she'll take care of it, you know? <laughs> That's the best. You know, I read the book E-Myth Entrepreneur early on in our beginnings, been about 20, almost 22 years now. Yes, and I think um, to me, it was that interesting process of figuring out how to replicate yourself enough times that you move up to the top of the pyramid and somebody else is actually doing the day to day. How hard, easy timeline did that take for you to start pulling yourself out of those day-to-day -day positions and really become the CEO? About four years, four and a half, five years before I even felt really comfortable enough to start doing that. Um, and a lot of that was just because we had not had the right employees beforehand. And again, it goes back to cost. Like we could not afford, we were hiring people back then off Craigslist for minimum wage. And then five years later, we had enough money to hire the CFO that was making way more than I was. And so 
when that happened, it's like, okay, well, if we could hire a CFO and we can hire an HR person and we can hire a director of sales and we can hire a director, 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 C-suite people, okay, well, maybe now I can start to step back a second. Right. Right. Uh, I got to tell you, I knew reading your background that you were going to be a great interview, but you surpassed my expectations. Oh, cheers. Well, it's good. They weren't very high. (laughs) (laughs) They were low. I set the bar low. So you had a lot of room to grow. Uh, But no, really, Travis, this is fascinating. I I cannot wait to be at some point in our lives in the same state or city uh, so I can buy you a beer and just listen to more of your stories, even pre-Hydro Flask. You've had 19 careers, my friend. Yeah, I love Louisiana. Some of the coolest people I've ever met are Coonasses, who built the, uh, <laughs> the Divi Hotel and Casino out on the uh, east end of St. Croix. We had, a, we had a whole crew of Coonasses come down. Oh, my goodness. Did we eat, drink, and have so much fun? Eat, drink, and we were merry. It was so much fun. Is that the Bothe family, B-O-T-H-E? Yeah. Okay, so Jean was a fine you with me in college. We were sorority sisters. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Blonde, cute, blue eyes. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Yeah. And, well, uh, and there was, a, there was another cute blonde uh, <laughs> that, um, that worked with them also. And the whole crew came into the dive shop to get certified and go scuba diving with us. And so I was their dive instructor kind of That's on awesome. the nights and weekends. And then they'd go and build the casino. And, uh, and then on the, you know, and then they'd, we'd have a big crawfish fry and, and they'd have kinfolk and family come down and, oh my goodness, I had fun. Yeah. Kate, I love Louisiana. I've had so much fun and a lot of scary, but you know, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to get you back here to visit one day and we're going to take you out for a good time. It'll I be like awesome. that idea a lot. Yeah. 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 Well, plus I still have to introduce you to one of my coworkers. You know, I'm working on a matchmaking situation here. So I appreciate that very much. I really do. So does she. So does she. <laughs> Travis, it was an honor and a pleasure and a delight. Thank you for taking your time. What's the question that I should have asked you but didn't? And what would your answer be? <sighs> would you do it again? Would you? Um, yes, I would. I, you know, and I did it for the masses. I didn't do it for Travis. Um, it took a toll on Travis. It took a toll on my, you know, my entire life to this day is, is negatively affected by the business. Um, but I still would have done it again. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. I appreciate the time and thanks for inviting me on. Thanks for Absolutely. being here. It was nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys too. That was really good. That was, I really appreciate that.